0: Good news. Good news. La buena noticia. Ay, The good news is finally here. Friends, listen to me. This is serious business. What the world needs today is Jesus. The Bible says in John 3.16 That for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. Happy Easter, everyone, and welcome to Eyes on the Word, the radio ministry of Calvary Chapel Aventura with Pastor Vic Batista. My name's Nathan Jones, web minister with Lamb and Lion Ministries, and I'll be your guest host for today. Pastor Vic's all celebrating Resurrection Day with the good folks at Calvary Chapel Aventura in worship services and a church pitch- picnic, so he couldn't be here with us this week. But he's asked that I bring you a special Easter message for him today. He misses you all, and we'll be back next Sunday i really like you to recommend to go to www.calvaryaventure.com. They are a great church, and if you're looking for a church home, Pastor Vick's a great pastor, and you'll find a good church home, good people there. Again, my name's Nathan Jones, and I've had the great blessing of being Pastor Vick's invited guest on a few of the other programs he's had in the past few weeks. And I'm coming to you today from Lamb and Lion Ministries, located just outside of Dallas, Texas. Lamb and Lion Ministries is a Bible prophecy teaching ministry, proclaiming the soon return of Jesus Christ. You can find out more about us at www.lamlion.com. We have our TV show, Christ and Prophecy, and articles and blogs and a Facebook group, and just great things if you want to know more about the prophetic word that is the Bible. Well, this Easter weekend we celebrate Jesus' victory over sin and death on the cross, creating the only way that you and me can be saved and have eternal life. And did you know that Jesus' death on the cross and resurrection was foretold in detail in the Bible 1,000 years before it ever happened? Well, before you answer that question, why don't we open up in prayer? Lord Jesus, we thank you for this opportunity to talk about the Bible, to talk about your prophetic word. We thank you for Pastor Vic in Calvary Chapel Aventura, and pray, Lord, that they're having a great picnic right now, and many people are coming out to hear the word, and we pray for those folks listening right now, that they may know you as Savior and grow in their faith in you. Please bless this message as we study through Psalm 22 today. Hey, I am really excited about Easter, and I hope you all are having a great Easter, a great Resurrection Day with your family and friends and neighbors. And it's just a wonderful time to remember Jesus' death on the cross. And did you know that Jesus' death on the cross was written about 1,000 years before he ever died on the cross? That's 1,000 years. Now, if you go back to the book of Psalms and chapter 22... The entire message of Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection is there in Psalm 22. And it just blows my mind because Jesus talked through King David, who wrote that psalm, about what he experienced on the cross. Now remember, Jesus is outside of time. God's outside of time. He's affected when he interacts with time with men. but. He can experience the the death and resurrection from the cross and from the grave and still tell David the experience a 1,000 years earlier and have David write about it. So if you have your Bibles, open to Psalm 22, and we're going to read about the crucifixion and resurrection a 1,000 years before it actually happened, 3,000 years back for us. Now, verse 1 goes, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, if you remember that, that was Matthew 27 and Mark 15. Jesus is on the cross. And he's being uh, crucified, and he l- yells in a loud voice, eloi, eloi, lama sabachthani, meaning, my God, my God, why are you forsaken me? So we know that Jesus, when he was on the cross, began speaking and reciting Psalm 22, because it begins, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And it goes on, why are you so far from saving me, so far from the words of my groaning? Oh, my God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer, and by night, and I'm not silent. Now, Jesus isn't having a crisis of faith here. He knows God. He is God. But for eternity, He and the Father and the Holy Spirit, the three parts that comprise God, have been one entity. And on the cross, Jesus took the sin of the world upon Him, making Him unholy. And that relationship with a perfectly holy Father was then broken, and God could not be viewing Jesus. He could not be with Him, being walking with Him like He was. And Jesus, for the first time in His existence, feels the separation from God and feels forsaken. And it goes on in verse three, yet you were enthroned as the Holy One. You are the praise of Israel. And you our fathers put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. They cried to you and were saved. In you they trusted and were not disappointed. And isn't it amazing to hear Jesus is suffering on the cross and feeling abandoned and yet he still has that faith and trust in God. Here you see trust in verse 4, and trusted, and you delivered him. And again, vice versa, trust, trust, trust. Jesus trusts God. He has faith in God. And when things are difficult for you and me and in our suffering, we need to remember to trust God and have faith in him. That when all our problems happen, the first person we turn to is God first and put our trust and faith in him. Now, as we go on in verses 6 through 8, we talk about Jesus being mocked. It goes, verse 6, But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by men and despised by the people. What's interesting here, worm, if you go through the Hebrew, it's tola, it means red, like bloody, and not a man. Jesus was beaten so badly by the Romans and by the soldiers that were connected to the temple that people couldn't even recognize him as a man. He was that beaten and that bloody. And he was despised by all who stood there and looked at him upon the cross. And even says in verse seven, All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. Now that prophetic fulfillment of the people mocking Jesus on the cross you can find in Matthew chapter twenty seven, verses thirty nine through forty two. There the Pharisees, the elders, the teachers of the law, even the criminal hanging next to Jesus, were teasing Jesus and mocking him, saying, Well, if you are the Lord, if you are God Get yourself off the cross. And here a thousand years earlier, in Psalm 22, we can read about Jesus being mocked from Jesus' point of view. And it's a terrible thing that when you're suffering and dying, to also be humiliated and teased. And Jesus is feeling more and more separated from the Father, from his friends, from people around him, and even the leaders, the people, the people he was dying for, the people he loved, are mocking him while he's in the act of rescuing them. If you threw yourself in front of a bus to protect some child in front of it, and the kid fell off, and you got away, and the kid came up and 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 spit on you or kicked you in the shin and ran off. That's how Jesus is feeling right now. He's feeling rejected. But we go on, verse 9. Yet you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you, even at my mother's breast. From birth I was cast upon you, and from my mother's womb you have been my God. Isn't it interesting, even when Jesus is suffering... More faith verses, more trust verses. Here he says again in verse 9, I trust in you. Ever since Jesus came as a baby, when the Holy Spirit conceived in Mary a body for Jesus, ever since Jesus was a baby, all his life, he's known nothing but trust. And if you believe in Jesus as your Savior your whole life, you need to trust in Jesus as your Savior no matter what. Trust that he'll take care of you and that he loves you no matter the worst circumstances you could possibly go through, just as Jesus did. Follow his example. Jesus had that trust in God in the midst of suffering, that God would deliver him. But again, as verse 11 tells us, Jesus felt very alone during that time. Verse 11 reads, Do not be far from me, for trouble is near, and there was no one to help. Now do you remember the night before, Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he was praying to God, and he had brought three disciples with him. And Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, came up with a guard to arrest him. And he kissed Jesus on the cheek, betraying Jesus, signifying that this is the guy you're supposed to arrest, guards. And so Jesus was betrayed by one of his own. And then when the guards arrested Jesus, all his disciples, his closest friends, fled the scene. They had totally abandoned him. Even the disciple that Jesus said was, uh, loved him most, John, I guess someone grabbed his clothes or got stuck in a tree, but it ripped his clothes off, and he actually ran away naked. He was so terrified. Jesus was totally abandoned in his time of need and saw no help. And at the time, he knew that even God wasn't going to help him because Jesus set out to die on that cross, and he was going to accomplish that. Well, besides people rejecting him and feeling alone, verse 12 and 13 tell us that there was a spiritual battle going on at the same time. Verse 12 Many bulls surround me, strong bulls of bastion encircle me, roaring lions tearing their prey, opening their mouths wide against me. Now, if you read in first Peter five eight, a roaring lion is always referred to as Satan. And so here we see a, a, the spiritual battle that happens behind of all of mankind's battles. And in your life, if you're dealing with some problems or circumstances, know that there's a spiritual battle for your soul behind it. And especially when Jesus was trying to bring salvation and Satan saw an opportunity to possibly kill God, that he thought that he had won that battle. And he saw, now it doesn't record in the Bible they saw it, but if we follow verse, uh, Psalm 22 here, there were demons and Satan, probably even himself, rejoicing over the fact that Jesus was dying on the cross surrounding him. So his enemies were there as well, and it's a spiritual battle that he was facing, as well as a battle against sin. Now verse 14 goes, and this 14 through 17 tell us, one of the most detailed descriptions of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. I mean, this is a, a many years earlier. We know how Jesus was going to suffer. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is turned to wax. It is melted away within me. Now, when Jesus was on, before he got on the cross, again, remember I said earlier, he was beaten terribly. So his bones were knocked out of joint. He was just disfigured. But as the Bible offers to Mark 15, not a bone was broken. Because Jesus was to be sacrificed as the perfect sacrificial lamb for our sins, not a bone was broken, but we do read here, they were knocked out of joint. And we know where he says, my heart has turned to wax, it has melted away within me, that he was weak of heart all of a sudden. Now we know that Jesus gave himself willingly up on the cross, and he willingly died on the cross. The cross didn't kill him, the torture didn't kill him, and when they put a spear into Jesus' side, and water and blood came out of the side that we know that how he died. Modern doctors today can say he had a heart attack, and the heart ripped in two, and the water and the blood separated. Which is amazing that Jesus gave himself up for us. Verse 15, My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Now when Jesus was up there, he had said he was thirsty and he wanted something to drink, and people, uh, someone ran up with with wine vinegar with bile in it John 19 describes that and so here you got Jesus parched and cracked and beaten lips and they're putting vinegar up against it to mock him Now verse 16 dogs have surrounded me a band of evil men has encircled me they have pierced my hands and my feet Now folks verse 16 is amazing because it explains the death of Jesus by crucifixion something in King David's time hadn't been invented for another 700 years the Jews always stoned people to death. And when the Romans came in, the Jews lost the authority to enact capital punishment. So it was the Romans who had crucifixion. So they pierced Jesus, uh, not through the palm, but in the forearm, just under the wrist to hold up the weight, and through the feet against a tree. And here it tells, a thousand years before Jesus died of the crucifixion, that he would die of a crucifixion. Verse 17, I can count all my bones. People stare and gloat over me. Now, when you're being crucified, the idea is that you have trouble breathing. The You have to pull yourself up with all the nails pulling in your skin, and you're trying to breathe. And with the, to kill somebody, they break the bones of the leg so you couldn't hold up the weight, and then people would suffocate to death when they were crucified. So as Jesus was trying to breathe, all his bones could be seen, and the people continue to gloat over him. Now, another... Amazing verse in the telling of the prophetic telling of Jesus' death on the cross is verse 18. They divide my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. When Jesus died, he had uh, the only thing that he had that he owned was a his piece of clothing. It was supposedly seamless, and the Romans wanted that piece of clothing. So the guards that were there while he was dying on the cross, Matthew 27:35 describes, they were gambling for his clothes. Now, isn't that amazing? A thousand years before it happened, here it's telling us that the soldiers would gamble for Jesus' clothing. Again, the Bible is amazing. If you want to know if the Bible's accurate word of God, Bible prophecy tells us again and again, proves again and again, that the Bible is true and you can trust it. Jesus continues to pray in verse 19, But you, O Lord, be not far off. O oh, my strength, come quickly to help me. Deliver my life from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Rescue me from the mouth of the lion. Save me from the horns of the wild oxen. Remember earlier we are talking about lions and wild oxen? Again, Jesus is talking about Satan and demons. And although this isn't recorded in the, in the Gospels, that there was a spiritual warfare, we know through Psalm 2 that there was a spiritual warfare going on. And Jesus is asking for God to be delivered from his enemies, from Satan and from the demons that were around and from death. And yet he's turning to God again, and which is an amazing thing. Now, this is where it's interesting. Again, Jesus is asking, be praying to be rescued. And then look at verse twenty-two: I will declare your name to my brothers, in the congregation I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him, revere him. All you descendants of Israel, for he, God, has not despised or disdained the suffering of the afflicted one. The afflicted one being Jesus. He's not hidden his face from me, but he has listened to his cry for help. From you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly. Before you, those who fear you will I fulfill my vows. Isn't it interesting? Jesus asked for rescue from Satan, from death, and now he's praising God, and the key verse there is verse 24. He has listened to his cry for help. God has delivered Jesus from the cross and from death. And there, it's inferred between verse 21 and 22, the resurrection. Today, folks, Easter, the day we celebrate Jesus rising from the dead, So between verse 21 and 22, we have the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The great victory ever in history. The greatest victory in ever history. And look at verse 25. It says, I fulfill my vows. Jesus promised to die on the cross. He willfully wanted to die on the cross for you and for me. Because we had no hope of getting out of underneath God's wrath because of our continued rebellion against him. That heart desires to be our own God instead of letting God be God. And the only sacrifice for our sin is death. And Jesus took that. He died in our place. And he fulfilled that promise. Now verses 26 through 31 tell us what happens with the victory, the consequences of Jesus' victory on the cross. And these are amazing consequences because they not only affect us now in the way we live, but they'll affect us throughout eternity. Let's read verse 26. The poor will eat and be satisfied. They will seek the Lord, will praise Him. May your hearts live forever. And that verse tells us the first consequence of Jesus' victory on the cross and His resurrection from the dead, coming back to life. The poor in spirit, Mary says here. The poor will eat. The poor in spirit. First Peter two twenty four. By His wounds we are healed. In other words, Jesus is talking about salvation. Because He died on the cross, salvation was possible. To be saved from our sins. To be saved from death. And to be saved for eternal suffering in hell. Jesus created the way on the cross so that we could know him as Savior and be rescued from ourselves, from our rebellion against God. So that's the first thing salvation. That's the first consequence of his victory. Second, verse 27 through 29, all the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations will bow down before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the rich of the earth will feast and worship, and all who go down to the dust will kneel before him, those who cannot keep themselves alive. Now, look at that. All the families of the nations will bow down before him. We're talking about everybody that's ever been born, everybody that lives now, and everybody who is yet to be born. Everybody will one day bow before Jesus Christ and say that he is God. In fact, you can read it in Romans 14.11. Philippians two ten through 11 that every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. That means whether you willfully come to Jesus and accept him as Lord, or you stand before him one day still in rebellion, you will acknowledge Jesus as Savior one day. He created everything. Everything's his, and by his death on the cross, he reclaimed creation back to himself again. And he will be glorified. He's earned it. Uh, you know, people say, wow, Jesus, he's, why should I worship him? Well, he's earned it. You know, if somebody wins a medal, they have gold in the Olympics, for instance, they deserve the applause and praise for what they accomplished. And Jesus created us, and he died for us, and he gave us the opportunity to go to heaven. So he deserves our glory and our thanksgiving. And that's what worship is. It's thanksgiving. It's, it's being gracious and, and thankful for what the Lord has done for us. Now, it's fascinating to read verse 30 and 31. Posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn, for he has done it. Look, look at those verses. Future generations, a people yet unborn. Hey folks, this verse is talking about us. In Jesus' time, in David's time, people that have yet to be born will want to share the gospel with other people. Right now I am sharing the gospel with you I'm telling you about the good news of Jesus Christ so if you're looking for yourself in the Bible verse 31 is talking about you is that people yet unborn will hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and we are hearing that right now and look at verse 31 last sentence for he has done it remember on the cross Matthew 27:46 and John 1930 Jesus said "It is finished in other words it's done I have finished what the vows are that we read in verse 25 I have accomplished my task it is done he has done it or in other Hebrew it could be pronounced it is finished so we look at the beginning my God my God why have you forsaken me all the way to the end it is finished and the gospels then record the first sentence and the last sentence of Psalm 22 so we know that when Jesus was on the cross he was reciting Psalm 22 he was recording it and that is just awesome That Jesus has done it. He has finished the work on the cross. Now, some will tell you that we're you to want to go to heaven, if you want to be forgiven of your sins, that you have to work your way to heaven. You have to do something yourself to get yourself to heaven. But that's not the case. There's nothing you can do to get yourself to heaven. God expects perfection. He expects expects holiness. Remember the Bible says, Be holy, therefore as I am holy. God is a holy God. And if we show up for God unholy with sin in our lives, then we are still under the wrath of God. We don't qualify for heaven forever. No matter how many good works, you could be a Mother Teresa, you could be a Gandhi, you could be any of these people, but if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, the wrath of God still is on you because you haven't accepted that lifeline of salvation. Think of it this way. There's a boat going through the ocean. And you're drowning in the ocean and you see that boat in the distance and you cry, help, help, help. And someone from the boat grabs the life preserver and they throw it out in the water and it plops in the water in front of you. And do you grab it? Or do you say, hey, I don't like this one. Can I have, please have a square life preserver? Or hey, can I have a red life preserver instead of this white one? I mean, Would we do that? No, we grab it. We grab hold of that opportunity, that lifeline of salvation. But so many people want to try to swim their way back to the boat and drown or find another way to God. God has given the ultimate way, the only way to get to God, the Father, and that's through Jesus the Son. Thank you. When you read through this, who is Jesus Christ to you? Is he the Son of God? Is he the Lord of Lords in your lives? Do you live under the grace of God or the wrath of God? See, people live under... Two different. There's only two classes of people on the entire planet. There's those who live under the grace of God. They are forgiven and they know they're going to go to heaven. And then there's those who live under the wrath of God, those who have not accepted Jesus' lifeline of salvation. And they're, they're going to go to hell. Unfortunately, that's the punishment. You know, hell was originally created for Satan and his demons as a punishment for the rebellion against God. And when Adam and Eve sinned and then we all sinned, because not one of us has ever lived without sin. We've all done something wrong. We've all only sinned against somebody. So we are destined to hell without that salvation from God. So either you live under God's grace or you live under God's wrath. So which is it for you? Have you accepted Jesus as your Savior? Have you asked for forgiveness for your sins? It's really easy. If you feel the Lord moving your heart, say, Dear Jesus, forgive me of my sins and be my Savior. Jesus, in turn, will make you a brand new person inside. The sin life that you're living now you'll find very hard and difficult to live in the future because the Holy Spirit will come in you and he'll be your guide in these dark days. He'll guide you in the direction you need to go and he'll teach you his word in the Bible. So if you've accepted Jesus as Savior, please get a Bible and start reading it. Uh, John, is one of the Gospels, is one of the best books to start with. And as you read through the Bible, you'll know God and you'll understand God better and he'll speak to you through that and guide you in these dark days. But if Jesus to you is still somebody who you have not accepted as Savior and you're going to try to go it on your own, I'm sorry, but you are destined for the wrath of God. That's one day we will stand before God in judgment. It's called the great white prone judgment at the end of time. And those who have did not accepted Jesus as Savior will unfortunately take that same punishment as Satan and his demons. It's hell. And hell is described as a lake of fire, of, of ever present burning, of destruction and death and weeping. Uh, those who say they want to go to hell so they can hang out with their friends, it's also a place of loneliness and separation from God. So please, while you have time in this life, accept Jesus as your Savior and turn to Him in love. And if He has, make Him the Lord of your life. Make Him in charge of your life. Help make Him do the decisions that you need in your life. You, know, you, you can't be your part-time Lord. He's your full-time Lord. And He will guide your life. And you will see a changed life, an amazing difference. Also, go join a Bible-believing church. Uh, one of the ministries, of course, uh, Calvary Chapel Aventura, and they're one of many churches out there, but uh, again, Pastor Vic has a great heart for you. He wants you to know the gospel. He wants you to be saved. And that is a great place to start if you're looking for a church home. And he can guide you and teach you your newfound faith, and you can learn more and more about Jesus every day. So, uh, Pastor, we got about one minute to go. Thank you. Again, I pray that you will go to www.calvaryaventura.com. Get to know the folks at Calvary Chapel. Get to know Pastor Vic. I wish you were at that picnic right now. Let's close in prayer and end this. Lord, we thank you so much for your death on the cross. We thank you for your love for us. We thank you for willing to sacrifice yourself in a grueling death so that we can know you as Savior. And I pray that everyone out there will have accepted you as Savior. We lift you up, Lord. We thank you and we magnify you in your precious name. Amen. Good news. Good news. The good news is finally here. Friends, listen to me. This is serious business. What the world needs today is Jesus. The Bible says in John three sixteen that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life.